Thank you, Bob. Thank you. That's great. You can have a rest. <laughs> as beautiful as it is. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to see you. Thank you, Andrew, for your very kind words. Um, sometimes I'm not sure that Andrew appreciates what I have to say to him because I smack him over the back of the head. And uh, But then I try and hug him and tell him he's fantastic as well. So I do appreciate your kind words. We all need somebody just to hold a mirror up in front of us at times and uh, help us to see what the Lord's trying to show us. And uh, I have those people in my life uh, and I trust that you're able to find somewhere like that you can trust as well. So I appreciate your trust. One of those people in my lives is uh, a guy called Bill Johnson, some of you might have heard of him, um, and uh, he very kindly wrote a forward to this uh, book that I've recently written and released that I just want to bring to your attention today. It's called Radically Restored to Oneness with God, and uh, there are these flyers that will be available at the back. If you're interested, you get it from Kurong or Amazon or anywhere it's published uh, internationally by Destiny Image. So Bill very kindly writes, Radically Restored to Oneness with God is a brilliant book. Uh, it's filled, and I do mean filled with insight and inspiration, and it couldn't come at a better time. With much of the world in chaos and the church often mirroring the instability of our surroundings, radically restored, is given that we might become established in truth from where, uh, from there, reveal the absolute rock, Jesus Christ. Nothing can move such a rock. Our fears, wrong teachings and self-absorption all create an atmosphere of instability that is opposite to the nature of Christ and thus the nature of our salvation. This book was written to help correct that problem while creating a joyful expectation that comes from Christ alone. So um, if you'd like to get a copy of it, uh, you can do so. So I want to give this one away. Um, does anybody have a birthday today? Is it anybody's birthday today? Is it anybody's birthday yesterday? Was it anybody's birthday in October? <laughs> Looks like you win. Your hand went up first. <laughs> well done. <laughs> On Tuesday, happy birthday. It sort of always worked back nine months. Those of us, I was born in September. I'm a Christmas baby. And, uh, but I can never figure out what happened in January. So well done, whatever it was. It was great. A.W. <laughs> Tozer uh, brought the following idea to the body of Christ many years ago when he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I happen to believe that this is true. And so what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If that is true, then what came into Jesus' mind when he thought about the Father? Because if we're going to be great disciples, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to bring the image of Jesus to the world in which we live, then it's good for us to actually know how he behaved and what he thought and what he thought about life. And so what did Jesus think about the Father? What came into his mind as he thought about the Father? Well, one of the core things that Jesus thought about the Father was that Jesus was to be a servant of the Father on behalf of the world. Jesus saw himself as a servant, but he saw himself as a servant of the Father. He wanted to hear what the Father was saying. He wanted to see what the Father was doing. And so his whole life was premised on the idea that he needed to posture himself on a daily basis to be able to serve the Father on behalf of the world. And so he was trying to understand what the Father was saying about the world around him. He was trying to understand what the Father was saying about the people around him. And that's why he was prepared to live in an incarnational way inside of villages and to move around Israel as it was known then so that he could actually minister to people on behalf of the Father. 
And so for us, we have the same privilege because as followers of Jesus, he indwells us and the Father cares about the people that you work with. He cares about the people you live beside. He cares about the people you shop with. He cares about the people that are in your family. And so the Father has a perspective about them and that perspective is always good. That perspective is always one of empowerment and that perspective is always one of bringing grace to them. And so for us, when we think about God, if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to think about ourselves as servants of the Father on behalf of the world. If we're going to serve someone, if we are going to be a servant of the Father, if we're going to serve anyone, we need to have some understanding of who they are and what they like. Good servants, we see this uh, represented in movies that we watch and television series that we watch and particularly going back into the 1800s where I'm not necessarily suggesting it was the best way to live but there were wealthy people and there were servants and those servants, when they served their the household well, they served because they understood who the people were in the household and what they were like. They are endeavouring to meet their needs. Now, whether those needs were right or wrong is not my conversation today. My conversation is the attitude of a servant. And so a servant is somebody who actually knows who their master is and understands what their master likes. And so what comes to mind when we think about our master, what came to mind for those servants when they thought about the person that they were serving was really important. And so for us today, what I'm wanting to do is to take you on a bit of a journey where you would consider what do you think about God? How do you know about him? How do you feel he uh, thinks about you? What's he, how does he want to behave towards you? What comes to mind when you think about God? When you think about him, when you stop and you ponder and you step away from your circumstances and you think about who is this God that I serve? Who is this God that I've just worshipped with song? Who is this God that I want to be a blessing to so that I can release his kingdom? What do I actually really think about him? Now, as we come to this conversation today, I want to introduce another idea and that is that Christians rent ideas often more than they own ideas. We think if we know something in our head, we know it. But the knowledge that really motivates us is the knowledge we have in our heart. We have two seats of knowledge. We have knowledge in our head, that which we learn through listening to people like me. And then we have knowledge in our heart that hopefully the Holy Spirit, when you listen to what I'm saying, you're attuned to what the Spirit might be trying to say to you through my words or through the words of any other communicator and you allow it to change your heart. A great example of the fact that Christians rent ideas more than they own them is in the area of forgiveness. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you'll know that forgiveness is something that we are all meant to step into when, others, when we're hurt by others, when we see that others have done something wrong. But I've discovered that many Christians rent that idea because whilst they know in their head they should forgive, from their heart they don't. If you're going to forgive deeply, you have to be hurt deeply. You'll never know how deeply you can forgive until you're hurt deeply. If you love, you're going to get hurt. Love and hurt go side by side. If you, if you, if when you feel hurt, it's because you love someone and something's gone wrong in the relationship and so you feel pain. 
And so I'd, I learned this lesson many years ago uh, in, in the 90s when a whole bunch of people left our church. And they left because there was a particular couple that started spreading stories about who I am and what I was doing. And, uh, and so that was a very painful time for me. Uh, I felt very rejected. I felt uh, very betrayed in that situation. And so to be honest with you, I knew in my head that I needed to forgive uh, this couple. However, in the first six to nine months, I had a habit of, in my mind, I had a birdcage and I had the, the husband in particular as the bird in the birdcage and I'd open it up, I'd have the argument with him that I wanted to have with him face to face and I'd stick a few pins in him and put him back in the birdcage and close the door. About three minutes later, I'd pull him out and have the same conversation and stick some more pins into him and put him in again. I knew I had forgiven him. In my head, I knew I had to forgive him, but it was a journey. It was a process. I knew I'd forgiven him the day that I pulled him out of the cage and I said, I don't need to have this argument anymore. I let you go. You're free. My heart finally caught up with my head. My heart, the knowledge in my heart, the work that I came, my prayer to God was, God, help me forgive him. But honestly, I just wanted to break his kneecaps um, at best, otherwise get an AK-47 and blow him away. But, and so, so it's a journey to actually step into the fullness of who God calls us to be and what he offers to us. And whilst I celebrate the songs that we sing and they declare truth to us and they proclaim who it is that we are and who God is, just because we sing them doesn't mean that we own them. And so today I want you to be courageous enough in your own inner world as we go through what I'm going to go through for you to stop and think about what do you really think about God and what do you really believe about him. So I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us do that. So Lord, I ask right now in Jesus' name that as I unpack these ideas that you've given to me for today, I open my heart, Lord. I pray that you help us all to open our hearts to hear what you would say to us, that we could go on the journey of owning truth today and not just renting it. Help us, Lord, to step out of a place of being renters into a place of being owners, that we might serve you well so that when we think about you, we think right thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, I've got a whole bunch of slides that uh, we're going to go through together. And so if I can have what I think is the first slide. Yep, oh, that's good. We both think it's the same thing. Wonderful. So we're going to use John chapter 15 verses 9 to 11 um, as the basis for our conversation today. You always have a conversation with me when I'm preaching because you think something about what I'm thinking. You just don't tell me what you're thinking. Um, you either agree with me or you disagree with me. And so, so it is a conversation. It feels one way because I'm talking, but you are actually responding in your thought life. And so that's why I call it a conversation. John chapter 15 verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. We all understand as followers of Jesus, if you've been a follower of Jesus for probably six months or more, that the greatest virtue of the kingdom of God is love. God is love. Now there is, now there is faith, hope and love, but love is the greatest of these. We understand that love is the motivating force that comes out of the heart of God to reach out to human beings and reach into world history to bring his kingdom to the earth. We all understand the power of love. 
And in that power, it brings transformation and change to us. We sang about it this morning. However, here we're told that the key to loving well is keeping commandments. If we're going to love well, we're going to keep the commandments. I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. The word abide here is a Greek word menio, and it means to remain. And so here Jesus is making it very clear that there's a profound connection between keeping commandments and expressing the love of God. Expressing the love of God to to him, returning it back to him, expressing it to ourselves, expressing it to others, and expressing it to the creation that God gave to us to steward. And so the other thing that we find out about keeping the commandments is that it releases joy. In here it says, these things I've spoken to you so that you might, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And so if you're wanting to have joy as a, as a predominant way that you view life and live in life, is it's, connect, it's connected to keeping the commandments as well. So both love and joy are connected to keeping the commandments. So therefore, it's really important for us to think about when you hear the word commandments, what do you hear? Most of us don't stop to think about this. When you hear the word commandments, what is it that you actually hear? Words mean less than what we actually imagine them to be. And so it's the imagination of a word that means more to us than the word itself. And this is often why communication breaks down between people, but that's not the message that I want to bring today. And so when you hear the word commandments... What do you think it tells you about God and what narrative, what story does it tell you about who you think God is? I want to suggest to you this morning that in the room there are two narratives that the word commandments brings to our attention. You might live at different places in your life in one and then another. You might be on a journey towards one, but there is only one right narrative as far as I can see in Scripture. So let's have a look at it. The next slide. Thank you. So, the first narrative is a Genesis 3 narrative. So when you hear the word commandments, if commandments help you to love well and if commandments are going to help you to have joy, when you hear the commandment, word commandments, what do you imagine it to mean? Because what you imagine it to mean will create a narrative, it will create a story of what you think about God, how, what you think about the Father. And so the first narrative is built out of Genesis chapter 3. And when we hear the words commandments, we think it's about the problem of sin. We think the commandments are actually connected to the idea of sin. And next slide, thank you. And so when we hear the commandments in this narrative, what we hear is that there is legislated behaviour that's required to remain in right relationship with God. When we hear the word commandments in this narrative, we think that commandments mean that there's legislated behaviour that is required to help us remain in right relationship with God. And so right behaviour leads to right relationship. What happens in here, if this is our narrative, then what happens is that we live in a world of judgment. Because when we think about right behaviour leads to right relationship, then if I've got wrong behaviour, then I must have broken relationship. And so we start to think about behaviour. When we think about behaviour, we think about judgment. All right, time to be honest with yourself. How often do you judge people on the way they drive on the road? Are they in right relationship with you if they don't drive the way you think they should? (coughs) 
there are all sorts of places that I could illustrate this. How, how do you feel about the family member that is not doing what you think they should do and you feel you have the right to judge them? Right relationship is predicated by right behaviour. This happens a lot in marriages, is that my relationship with you is going to be determined by your behaviour being correct. It happens with our children, it happens with our bosses, it happens all through our lives. And so what I'm wanting you to honestly think about is what role does judgment actually play in your world and where does it come from? Because often our narrative, and particularly for Christians, Christians are really good at this, they're really good at judging other people and deciding whether they are good or bad. I want to suggest to you that what you think about God is the most important thing in your life. And if you're living out of this narrative, then even though we might sing about the fact that God's love for us is based on who he is, not what we do, many of us deep down still carry the idea that when we hear the word commandments, it's about legislative behaviour that brings about right relationship. And yet the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And yet the Bible says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Many of us, because of when we think about God, we haven't actually stopped to think about where judgment fits. We think we serve God through judgment. I'm going to help you by judging you and telling you where you need to change. When we live out of this narrative, the Genesis 3 narrative, the next slide, thank you, we see sin as sin is viewed as rebellion against God, which leads to a legal or forensic approach to our behaviour. And so let's now talk about how you love yourself. If you love yourself through this narrative, you'll live with a lot of shame and guilt and condemnation, which ultimately leads you to fear. Because you're judging yourself and because you think that God is actually wanting to judge you and somehow your relationship with God is all about doing the right thing and you think your relationship with people is all about doing the right thing and you find acceptance in behaviour and so you see sin in this world as rebellion against God which leads to a legal or a forensic approach to our behaviour. So God is measuring your behaviour, you measure your behaviour, you measure the behaviour of others. And so in this place, if that's how we're thinking of the commandments, I wonder what sort of love that produces. I'm not sure that it produces the love that God has towards us because I remain unconvinced that this is the way that God actually relates to us. When we have this approach, this narrative about the problem of sin, thank you, the next slide, the emphasis is on God's use of regulations to restrain bad behaviour, to exercise power over people and assess us as good or bad, making our performance the condition for acceptance. Now, I would say that in this congregation, knowing who Andrew and Mel are, that you would have had teaching that God loves you, he accepts you for who you are, not on the basis of your behaviour or performance. I'm convinced that you will have heard this before. All I'm asking you is, do you believe it? Are you renting this idea or do you own it? You see, the way that you find out what you really believe is that you look at how you behave because behaviour is always the echo of belief. When people get angry, they don't get angry in a, in a vacuum. They get angry because they're believing something. They believe they have to be right. They believe that they're under attack. They believe that they need to defend themselves. Your anger is always connected to a belief. Behaviour is always the echo of belief. Yeah. And so if you're a person that's living with judgement, 
then I would want to suggest to you that your narrative of the Father is potentially buried inside of this narrative of the problem of sin and that you think that God's view of you and the world and the life that we live is all about dealing with the issue of sin. Even though you can hear messages preached by people like Andrew and Mel, I'm sure others in this church and myself, and say that God loves you and he accepts you just as you are, it's not on the basis of your performance. He loves you because you breathe, because he is love. Do you actually own that idea? Until we own that idea, we're not actually going to release love because Jesus said, if you follow my commandments, if you abide in my commandments, then you'll abide in love. But if you view commandments this way, then you're going to give a love that's based on judgment, not a love that's based on acceptance. Next slide, thank you. The quality of our relationships when we live inside of this narrative is focused on performance and effort resulting in shame, fear, guilt and condemnation. If you live with shame, fear, guilt and condemnation, um, there is a better place to live. But I would want to suggest that the majority of us in the room at some point live with shame, fear, guilt or condemnation. If it, again, I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. And, and if you are, I want to ask you to consider that that's because somewhere in your world you're still on this journey of moving from this narrative to the narrative that you hear often proclaimed in this church, that God loves you because you breathe. And the thing about the Christian life is it's a journey into surrender and trust. It's a, it's a journey of surrendering to the ways of God and trusting his ways. And so there's, if this is you find yourself in this place where judgment is at work in you, I'm not here today to condemn you or put shame on you at all. That's the furthest thing from my mind. All I know is this, is that self-awareness and personal responsibility are the keys to my transformation to become more like God. I came to faith through self-awareness. I became self-aware I was separated from God. I took responsibility for that separation and prayed and asked God to forgive me for my sins. And boom, I became a child of God. If self-awareness and personal responsibility get me into the kingdom, then self-awareness and personal responsibility will always underpin my transformation. They'll always transform my, my reformation into looking like Jesus. And so if I'm going to think like Jesus and act like Jesus, I'm on this journey of formation, this journey of transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you think about God is the most important thing in life. And so all I'm trying to do is to help you, hold, I'm just trying to hold up a little mirror like I do to Andrew and say, what can you see? And then you've got to figure out what you're going to do with what you can see. Let me be very honest, I've got to hold this mirror up to myself as well because I'm still on this journey. I'm not there yet. But I had discovered freedom comes through looking in the mirror and actually allowing it to challenge where I'm up to. So there's another narrative that you can live from as far as your father narrative, who you believe God to be, when you think about the word commandments. If I can have the next slide, thank you. The second narrative actually comes from Genesis chapter 1. And it's all about relationship and goodness. Genesis chapter 1 is all about God's relationship with his creation and the fact that he saw it was good. Genesis chapter 3 is all about the problem of sin. And so if you've been around church uh, long enough, you will have heard Genesis chapter 3 again and again and again because the church is really good at talking about the problem of sin. But how often do we actually talk about the fact that God's relationship with his creation is one of kindness, of generosity and goodness? And does that actually shape and form what we think about God? The next slide, thank you. 
When we live out of this slide, we have a very different understanding of the word commandments. When we think out of, did I say this slide? When we think out of this narrative, we have a very different understanding of the word commandments. Remembering the word commandments is really important because it determines how you love. If you keep my commandments, if you, you'll abide in my love. So in this narrative, the word commandments are expressions of covenant love, knowing the choices we make are designed to serve and love the interests of God and others. Prove it to me, Peter. Thank you for asking. I will. Let's think about the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments of the Ten Commandments are about how to love God. Love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Don't take my name in vain and don't create idols. So the, the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments are about how to love God well. The last six of the Ten Commandments are about how to love one another well. We love one another well by not lying, by not committing adultery, by not stealing, by not coveting. You know, I've got adultery in my past, I'm not proud of it, but it's there as a part of my pre-Christian life. And, uh, and in that, I chose to leave Lynn for somebody else. And, and I thought that was because I loved this somebody else. But all it did was bring great damage to Lynn. It brought great damage to her family. Fortunately, we didn't have children at the time, so it didn't damage them. And so we can, we can talk about adultery as, well, I've, just, I've fallen in love with this other person, but it's not love, it's actually called self-interest. And so, so it's, it's not, because it damages people. When you steal from people, you damage, you're not loving them, you damage them. When you lie about people, you damage them. And, and so, so these, six, these last six commandments about how to love other people well. Coveting, you know, pornography is all about coveting. It's about coveting some form of sexual relationship that you think would bring you more gratification. And so you covet something which opens you up to lust, which then takes you into places that damage you. Your love for yourself is damaged, but your love for other people is damaged because you start to look at the opposite sex as an object of gratification. And so, so all this stuff that we you know, entertain in our world today that is against the last six commandments, it's not about behaviour, it's about love. God, God is actually saying, this is how you will let, release love into the world. But we've been taught the Ten Commandments has been an issue of the problem of sin. And so this, the fourth commandment is intriguing. It's about the Sabbath. It's got nothing to do with loving God. And it's got nothing to do with loving one another. So why is it there? Why does it sit between this is how you love God and this is how you love one another? It sits there because the Lord wants us to take a moment in every week to ponder and think about how are we loving God and how are we loving others? He wants us to take moments where we think about the commandments and how we are loving well because that's what Jesus did. He loved well. It's what God did, for God so loved the world. It's that love is the most important thing. And so it sits right in there because we're meant to have a moment in every week where we step away from everything and we actually begin to ponder, how well am I loving you, Lord, and how well am I loving other people? Right. It's a rest from our activity to keep life going and a place where we come and reflect on what are the most important things in life, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with the creation. But the thing about our world is we go, 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 that we don't actually stop and reflect on these things, which is what I'm endeavouring to try and get you to do with me this morning. And so when you think about commandments, what do you, what do you hear? 
what, what Jesus was saying was that when I think about commandments, I hear love. And if you'll think about commandments as love, then you'll actually begin to see your relationship with God in an entirely different way. That it's the pursuit of being a lover. When you live out of this narrative, the pursuit becomes one of how do I love God well and how do I love other people well and how do I love myself well and how do I love the creation well? It's not about judgment anymore. I'm I'm no longer judging. I'm now endeavouring to love the way that God loves. So, next slide, thank you. When we have this narrative, then we see sin... It's not falling short of rules and regulations, rather it is falling short in how we express Jesus' love. Sin is falling short. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but what are we falling short of? Are we falling short in behaviour or are we falling short in love? So, so if, sin is for, if, if the commandments are about love, then sin is breaking the commandments, which is about falling short in love. Jesus gave us a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Again, just a moment of honest reflection. Does the, church, does the world look at the church and think we're lovers? Well. Not sure. Yeah. Why? Because I think we live out of a Genesis 3 narrative more than we live out of a Genesis 1 narrative. And the invitation is to, is to not think, wow, I wish my friend was here hearing this message. Or I wish my partner was here hearing this message. No, no, it's about you hearing this message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And about you going, where am I in this journey? Yeah. And we're all on this journey. We're all endeavouring to move away from performance that creates judgement into a place of acceptance that releases love. And so I'm just wanting to help bump you on that journey and wanting to give you another place to think about how you go on this journey. I'm trying to put some keys in your hands today to think about what this journey looks like. Now let me make it really very, 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 very clear because when I preach this message, some people who live out of Genesis chapter 3 want to talk to me about the fact you don't believe in sin. I do believe in sin. I'm just saying that sin is falling short of love. It's not falling short of behaviour. Sin is very real, and that needs to be responded to with repentance. Repentance is seeking grace, empowering presence for change. And so if I'm not loving well, then I'm not just repenting of my behaviour, but behaviour is always a signpost to my beliefs because behaviour is always the echo of belief. So this is why many Christians struggle, because they repent of their behaviour and they find themselves doing the same thing again two days later. And they go, where's the grace of God? I've repented of this behaviour for years and I'm still the same. Where's the grace of God, the empowering presence of change? Well, you should be repenting of the belief that's behind that behaviour, not the behaviour itself, because behaviour is always the echo of belief. And so what I'm trying to do this morning is to help you to recognise what you're believing about your narrative of the Father and how he relates to you, because if you can climb into that place, then you begin to repent of the right thing. Behaviour is the fruit of a root that is not loving as Jesus loves. Therefore, we need to be asking for grace to be self-aware and take responsibility for beliefs that lead to us falling short of love. God, help me to see, help me to be self-aware of my contribution to the breakdown in this relationship. Lord, help me to take personal responsibility for my place of not loving well. Now, the fine print in here is that you've got to become a humble person. 
and none of us don't do humility all that well. Most of us don't do humility all that well. But it's a great place to live. Next slide, thank you. The emphasis when we live in this narrative, this narrative, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we live out of this narrative, our adoption into the family of God as, as a covenant community of love where our walk with God is relational, not judicial in nature, where we practice our new life in Jesus by loving as Jesus loved, and the one another's of the New Testament represent the outworking of our spirituality. The emphasis in here is all about I've been adopted into another family and I'm learning the ways of that family. And the ways of that family are love. The way of my human family was judgment. The way of the culture that I live is in judgment. But the way of this family that I've been adopted into is love because God is love. And so what I'm now going to do is to walk with God relationally, not judicially. I'm really wanting to help you with your friendship with God today, that, that you, you can be a friend of God when you walk with him relationally, not judicially. And understand that his interest in your life is about helping you to love well and helping you to discover what stops you from loving well. And so we practice our new life in Jesus by loving as Jesus loved. And the one and others of the New Testament represent the outworking of our spirituality. Next slide, thank you. If we live like this, the quality of our relationships is focused on acceptance and grace resulting in trust, surrender, reliance and gratitude. When you genuinely live in this place day by day, life begins to take on a whole different glow and a whole different place. That I actually recognise that my life with Christ is all about surrender and trust, which means that I have to yield and I have to rely on him. And I find places of gratitude for the growth that I experience. Next slide, thank you. This one might be a little bit more difficult to believe. Yeah, it's a bit difficult for you to read down there. I can, if you're interested, I can send all of these to Andrew. But basically what I'm now doing is just putting these two things together. So let me just read it for you. When we live out of a Genesis 3 narrative, the commandments are the legislative behaviour that is required to remain in right relationship with God. When we live out of a Genesis 1 narrative, commandments are expressions of covenant love knowing the choices we make are designed to serve and love the interests of God and others, which is what Jesus did. When Jesus thought about God, he thought about himself, he thought about the far, being a, a servant of the Father on behalf of the world. Under a Genesis 3 narrative, sin is viewed as rebellion against God, which leads to a legal or forensic approach to our behaviour. Sin, under a Genesis 1 narrative, is not falling short of rules and regulations, rather it's falling short in how we express Jesus' love. Genesis 3 narrative is an emphasis on God's use of regulations to restrain bad behaviour, exercise power over people and assess us as good or bad, making our performance the condition for acceptance. The emphasis under a Genesis 1 narrative is that our adoption into the family of God is a covenant community of love where our walk with God is relational, not judicial in nature. We practice our new life in Jesus by loving as Jesus loved and the one and others of the New Testament represent the outworking of our spirituality. Going to that person that you judge on the road because they don't drive well. What if you knew that they were rushing to get to a dying relative? Would that change your response to them? Now, I'm not saying that everybody who drives badly has an excuse for what they're doing. It's just that we've got no idea why they're driving badly. And so why do we judge them? We've got no idea why our boss is under stress and not treating us well. But they still need, they're deserving of our love, not our judgment. And so the emphasis becomes, well, am I falling short in love? And what, if I am falling short, what am I believing that's causing me to feel short, fall short? 
And I ask for grace, empowering presence, to change that belief. The quality of relationships under a Genesis 3 narrative is focused on performance and effort resulting in shame, fear, guilt and condemnation. The quality of relationships under a Genesis 1 narrative is focused on acceptance and grace resulting in trust, surrender, reliance and gratitude. My final thoughts as I land this puppy this morning are these. I have three thoughts for you to take away. Our true image of God is reflected in the way we love others or judge them. So if you want to know what your real image of God is, if you want to know what you really think about God, you'll discover it in the way that you love others or you judge them. Now that might be very confronting to you, but, I, but I've tried to take us on a journey this morning where we're able to go, I don't like that idea, but I accept it. Our true image of God, what we really think about God, is revealed in the way that we love or judge other people in the way that we love or judge ourselves, in the way that we love or judge God. That's our true image of him. If we believe what Tozer said is that the most important thing about us is what we think about God, then there's an invitation in here for us to go on a journey of transformation and change. My second thought is this, is that a Genesis 1 narrative will help you to dig wells that sustain and enhance relationships. A Genesis 3 narrative will lead you to building fences for who's in and who's out. A Genesis 3 narrative causes people to build fences of judgment. You're in or you're out, depending on the fence that I build, because I've now judged you to be worthy of my love or not worthy of my love. And so I build a fence, and I put you on the outside of it or I put you on the inside of it. If you're a fence builder, it will help you just as it's a signpost. That's all I'm trying to help you do is have signposts that are pointing you to what you believe. If you're a fence builder with anybody, so just be honest this morning, who have you built a fence with? Have you built a fence with your neighbour? Have you built a fence with your spouse? Have you built a fence with your parents? Have you, where have you built fences and you said, I'm, I'm not going to let you get in, you're out? Or are you somebody that digs wells? that sustain and enhance relationships. And so I dig a well of acceptance where you can come and be nourished by being with me. Even though you've hurt me and even though I'm damaged by you, and this raises issues of trust and that's another whole bunch of messages. I understand if you've been sexually abused or emotionally abused, that this, there's another conversation out here about trust and how you do this. I just don't have time to unpack that. But what I am wanting to do is to speak to the, to the narrative that most of us are living with and try and think about, do I dig wells of relations? Do I invite people into a conversation? If I've been hurt by them, do I invite them into a conversation or do I build a fence and then throw rocks at them over the fence? Most of us are really good at building fences and throwing rocks over the fence. Rather than actually going to the person that we feel offended by or hurt by and actually saying, can we sit down and talk about this? It's a frightening way to live, but I just think it's a God way to live. My final thought is this, that the nature of God is not to exact punishment. The nature of God is to establish, right, the nature of God is to establish righteousness and renew his creation into his image. The nature of God is not to exact punishment. The nature of God is to establish righteousness and to renew creation into his image. And so if that's the nature of God, how am I participating with that nature? Am I participating with a nature that's built out of a Genesis 3 narrative where God wants to punish everybody that's done the wrong thing? 
Or am I living out of a Genesis 1 narrative where I recognize the nature of God is to establish right rela- re- righteousness, which is right relationship and right standing? The world needs our love. That comes from heaven. The world doesn't need our love that comes from judgment. We live in a world that's full of chaos. We live in a world where more and more people are hurting. We live in a world where people are more and more confused. And yet we carry the answer. It's called God's love. And how do we abide in that love? We abide in that love by keeping commandments. But if we're going to keep commandments, we've got to have a really good understanding of what commandments are. And therein is my ideas for today. Because I'll start repeating myself if I say anything more. Could we all stand together this morning? Thank you. All right, it's your turn to do some work. Um, So let's just close our eyes. It just helps take out distraction. And I just want to create a moment of, for you to have some honest reflection about yourself. As I've had this conversation with you this morning, can you identify a place in your heart where you would want God's grace, his empowering presence to come? and help you to change what you believe about the commandments. Change the narrative that you're living from. Change from being a fence builder to a well digger. Change from being a person of judgment to a person of acceptance. Are you able to identify, and you know, it's, it's always best to try and really make this concrete. So is there a relationship, it might be with yourself, where you judge yourself, where you, you live with a sense of failure and, and shame? Is there, a, is there a place that you would want to ask God to help you to change your narrative of who he is and how he relates to you? Is there a place where you built fences with other people? Is there a, a place just right now for you to do some business with the Holy Spirit where you would find a belief, where you think that it's okay for you to be critical of that other person? where you think it's okay to think of yourself less than what God thinks of you and that you would want to invite grace into that part of your belief system to help you change. So Lord, I I just again, I pray right now as we come to a close, I pray Lord for a release of grace over all of us a release of grace over my own life, a release of grace over all of our lives, that empowering presence that changes what we believe. Lord, we repent of the places where we don't love well, where we don't love ourselves, where we don't love you, where we don't love others, where we don't love the creation well. We repent, Lord, of falling short in love, and particularly in this one area that we're thinking about, And we ask, Lord, for grace to change what we believe that we might live more fully in your love and that we would serve you by releasing your love into the world in which we live.
Amen. Thanks for listening to me.